Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. The, the darkness with the light that is to come. So today we begin with um, what is without a doubt one of the most important seasons in our church calendar. Last year we spent a considerable amount of time discussing the history of Advent and why it was instituted. This year we've not spent as much time discussing that other than to say there is something Chosen state of non-fulfillment 
says that I, I, I am grateful and thankful for what I have, yet I know that there is more to do. So often in our hyper-individualized Christian culture, everything about what we, everything about our relationship with, with God is for the benefit of me. this idea of what Thomas Merton called our private salvation project. Where if I live right and do right, God will bless me and I will um, uh, be able to be uh, right before him knowing his purpose. I'll be fulfilled. My purpose-driven life will be maximized and fruitful. And in many ways, that is a that is a sliver of who we are. But the idea is that God is about healing, restoring, and saving the whole. I have to say, the more I study the covenantalistic the theology of Paul, I really do believe Paul's big point is that God doesn't save persons. God saves the whole. So as God redeems and saves the whole, you can choose to be part of the whole or not part of the whole. It's happening all around us all the time. But what God is doing is he's redeeming, he's saving, he's restoring the whole thing. And so we then, because it does need to be personal in the sense of um, a sense of responsibility, right? A sense of, to have a relationship with God. But in our drive and need and demand to have a relationship with God, in fact, it wasn't just relationship with Jesus, it's a what relationship? Personal relationship. In having a personal relationship with Jesus, we need patience. We actually begin to have individualistic a sense of being awake whereby we allow the grace and gratitude of the moment to light upon us and also hold a deep intercessory cry that desires to see liberation come to the captive and the sight of the blind. As Paul says, it is for freedom that I am free. You are only as free as you are an advocate for Freedom. There is no better word for this state of being than freedom. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, which is numbers, I didn't do readings for this morning, says, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills, all the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us make a mountain of the Lord and a house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall flow forth. 
for the instruction, the word of the Lord in Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. for the sake of this time, if you'll give me the grace, I'm going to read it to you. They shall beat their guns into shovels. shall not lift up military nuclear war against neighbor. Neither shall they learn war any more. Are you kidding me? O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isn't then the implication here is if we're still learning war and if we're still blowing one another up and if we're still killing one another and not treating one another, that you're not walking in the light of the Lord. I would call that darkness, which is why we have Advent, because we're still in darkness. We're not in the light. So as we read and understand this deep, the nature of what it means to partner with God. In the first 1,200 years of Christianity, the great feast was Easter. For 1,200 years, there was no Christmas. That means to say, for 1,200 years, there was no Christmas. And so what happened is, around the year 1,200, a new man entered the scene. This new man would be Francis of Assisi. You know him as St. Francis. St. Francis felt, you didn't need to wait for God to love us by the cross and resurrection. Because 
Lord's Day. We celebrate Easter, the big feast was Easter. We didn't we didn't come to Easter, we celebrated and took out palm branches and it was a wonderful thing. But Francis says there's something bigger than that. We don't need to wait for the cross and the resurrection. Blood does not need to be shed for us to inherit the love of God. In fact, he thought that it all started with love. And so he popularized what you and I take for granted today as the big Christian feast of Christmas. And Christmas became started to become popularized in the 13th century. That's not in the scope of time. That's not that long ago. You take 14 billion years and then go like, I don't know, a thousand years ago. That's not that long. If you go 500 years ago, that's not that long. And so when you look at the idea of Christmas, it's the Franciscans that made it popular. And the main point I wish to make is the theological switch that took place when we realized that if God had become flesh, taken on materiality, physicality, and humanity, then the problem was solved from the beginning. See, this is the thing. This is why Advent is my favorite time of year. Because I love Christmas. I love, excuse me, Easter. I love what it means, and I love to celebrate that. But what Advent tells us is the whole thing was redeemed, restored, and made right as soon as God put on flesh. See, we've been raised and taught that what God did to restore was done when blood was shed and Jesus came out of a tomb. According to the church, the thing that redeemed it was as soon as God became human, he redeemed all of humanity. Right? That's the idea. As soon as God put on flesh, it's called in theological terms, and I, I'm sure that this really just you know, scratches an itch for you to know how to say this. But it's called in theological terms the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union means God in flesh. As soon as Mary conceived with Jesus, all of humanity proactively and proactively redeemed. Yeah, really? Kidding me? That's how big the incarnation is. Because he is Emmanuel, which means God with This is the theological switch. Francis believes, St. Francis believes Christmas should be such a celebration because of the incarnation where man and God became one, where God redeemed the whole thing is he believes that that should be such a celebration. Here's what he said, and I'm quoting. Every tree should be decorated with lights so that it shows that every tree is already filled with light anyway. What do we do now? We decorate trees with lights. We realize that we don't do that. It was the idea of that is to illuminate the materiality. I love this phrase. Jesus came to show us that matter matters. The materiality is important. Advent 
waiting for baby Jesus. Advent is the radical understanding that incarnation was already the redemption. Because in Jesus' birth, God was already telling us that it's good to be human and God is on our side. The radical movement of Advent and of the incarnation is the movement that says God is telling us I don't need blood does not need to be shed to appease me. I'm coming into the uh, the ashamed human status to tell you that your basic ontology is holy. God came into humanity to show us that humanity by its DNA basic design is already holy. He came, God came in the form of Jesus. That's why I'm saying he means God came in that form to show us. It wasn't like this whole thing's broken, Jesus comes, and now all of a sudden it's unbroken. Where it was broken was in between our ears. In our mind, we were no good, filthy, dirty, rotten, so-and-so. And God came to show you different. So we then, for the last, oh, I don't know, thousand years, have spent all of our time trying to get out of our body and into the spirit when God came to show us holiness by coming from his spirit and into your body. So I've been taught my whole life that the more I get out of my flesh, the holier I am. God came to show you that you're holy by getting into the thing that you've been trying to get out of. Because it's the basic DNA, it's the building block of your being is that God touched, blessed and spoke over the thing and said, this is holy. Advent then becomes a partnership with the waiting of God for a revealing that God has been with us all along. Jesus didn't come to change something. Jesus came to show us what had already been there. Emmanuel is that God with us again. It is a deep paradox with which we choose to embrace the empty places, the broken places, the hurt places, all the while knowing that God is still in those places too. That's the paradox of Advent. In many ways, Advent is the ultimate God with us. God with us in delight and feasting. God with us in dreaming and heartbreak. God with us in sorrow and sickness. God with us in freedom and rejoicing. Because in this way, God is healing the whole. In this way, God is restoring the entire thing. Even through the sorrow, the sickness, and the pain. Advent is the paradox of darkness. Advent is the idea that God is redeeming the entire thing. And God is somehow, somehow, redeeming us brokenly. 
doesn't want wisdom used to accomplish good. God isn't necessarily redeeming our brokenness and our sorrow and our sickness as an excuse to use wisdom. God isn't necessarily redeeming our sickness by fueling the source of our sickness. See, what I was taught is the way that God redeems or restores me, makes me whole, if I have a cold, is he takes the cold away. Though we then have challenges when sometimes God doesn't take the cold away. Now, that sermon doesn't kind of go there. Because then it's major cognitive dissonance between who gets healed and who doesn't. And then we start using the whole faith thing. We're weaponizing it. We say, well, you had faith and you didn't. What happened? Have you seen it? Right? Think about it. That we actually believe that God is in the pain and that the pain
that's the way it is. The brokenheartedness of God and the brokenheartedness of us is part of the process. And the more we can embrace that process, I'm not saying we say, thank you, God, for beating me up. I'm not saying that. But we can absolutely, uh, what Thomas Aquinas says, hold the truth and look at what it says about God. what Jesus comes to show us is that God is always with us. Many have said that Advent, if it had a mantra, it would be from the book of Revelation, which I find fascinating. So let's look at this passage together. Revelation 22, and I put it together as we get to verse 10. Verse 12 says, See, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to pay according to every man's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The Spirit and the Bride, this is the first section that we say. Remember last week we talked about what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is that, that homing device inside of us, the divine singing. And we, along with the Spirit, say, come and let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty say, come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. The one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Jesus is saying that. And finally, we would finally say, this is the part about the end. This is the end of our scripture, that in Revelation there's this appeal. And somehow we turned this in, and we don't even have time to touch that, but we turned this into a rapture, which is still, do you realize how that still avoids the paradox of pain? Rapture is get me out of here. The interesting thing, when even when you read this, you come Lord Jesus, but it doesn't say he's taking us anywhere. So is he saying we're leaving? Like, come, Lord Jesus, see ya. Like, he takes the down elevator at the same time we take the up elevator. I don't know how this works, but it can't be that. To me, the beauty of this passage is that everything is going somewhere good. In fact, Revelation 22.12, I'm going to read from the message translation. Jesus says, yes, I'm on my way, and I'm already there. Bringing my payroll with me. I love that verse. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm on my way and I'm already there. The beauty of this story is that the whole thing is going somewhere good. You see, the church believed that Advent was about celebrating the incarnation as a literal event of Christ's birth. But also recognizing that this is the blueprint for all of creation. To be Christian is to believe that God is in the beginning and the end. And this means that our beginning and end must match. In order for this to work, we must have a beginning that starts with goodness and blessing and not sin and depravity. But most of us thought that our beginning, the beginning of the human story, is evil. Fallenness. 
himself is actually coming to show us here our stories marked with goodness and blessing. And from the creation poem to the cry of the bride at the end of the book of Revelation, we find a cohesive message if we simply have eyes to see it. God is with us and on our side pulling the whole thing forward. I am the Alpha and the Omega. So in the Alpha point, which is what we read in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the, and the Word was, right. So Alpha is Jesus, which is goodness. And then in the end is Jesus in goodness. Because if you read Revelation 21 and 22, how does it all end with a feast, with a banquet, with a party? So the Alpha, and because you, you do understand that if the Alpha point and the Omega point don't match, you got a problem. But what we thought is the Alpha point was this thing, and, and I, I, I know this sometimes for some people will say, well, the Alpha point is, is creation, but then some think, you know, Jesus definitely fell apart and all that kind of stuff. Fine. But that's still not the beginning. And then somehow we had this idea that the end, I'll, I'll be really honest with you, that I didn't think that we were going somewhere good. I just thought we were going to heaven. And by we, I mean people that think like me. Only a select few. So God created an entire race of people starting with something good. But the end is probably, if you're looking at percentages, the percentage of Christians to non-Christians throughout all of humanity, those are really the percentages that we're talking about. But with that same kind of goodness. really lean into what Hal Lindsey has to say. Going in and penetrating the veil in baptism. That's what it says. So I know we're kind of close to the next nation is the blood will be of him and his blood. So it's important that somehow I don't remember Alex Bookman because he never asked me, but somehow it's important that somehow Catholics keep their word about that. The way that the the whole way even through the process they say in Rome through the Pantheon we have to come to a Hail Mary Proxima to come to the presence of God. That's what we think. When in reality, the whole thing is going something like this. The Alpha and the Omega of history haven't matched. Or our lives have no natural arc, trajectory, or meaning. The end has to be in the beginning. I'm getting T.S. Eliot, but the end has to be in the beginning, and the beginning has to be in the end, according to Hal. In the original divine incarnation, excuse me, if the original divine incarnation was and is true, then resurrection is both inevitable and irreversible. If the Big Bang was the external starting point, the eternal finality, then we know creation is being led somewhere good, and it's not chaotic or meaningless. Thank God. So the crucifixion doesn't have to be meaningless anymore. It doesn't have to be that if I get sick and concentrate praying and I don't get healed, that it just it it's just this ambiguous idea of either I have sin or she has sin or I don't have faith or she doesn't have faith or God's asleep. It's not meaningless. 
with something that is deeper. Alpha and Omega are in fact one and the same. Love is the divine lure that is pulling the whole thing forward, reminding us that love, not death, is the eternal thing. Love, which is nothing more than endless life, is pulling us forward because love is what we also and always have. So we wait because we need to. We need to feel it. We need to have empty spaces that aren't filled with activity and busyness. Again, it was likely St. Francis who first brought attention to the humanity of Jesus. Cain and Abel, despite it, like St. Francis does, largely emphasize Jesus' divinity only. Francis is said to have created the first five nativity pictures. He created the first five nativity images. God to become human, being among the poor, born in a stable among the animals, meant it is good to be a human being, that flesh is good, and that the world is good in its most simple and humble form. So one final point, the incarnation, the value of matter, and this one is probably the greatest loss of conversation we have in our culture today. Most of us don't realize the most commonly used term today that that refers back to this idea of Gnosticism. Gnosticism essentially says that nothing around us in this life matters, but it's all about somewhere else. It's all about the spiritual realm, that there's this other realm, that that's where all the important stuff happens, that this physical realm is the important stuff. Physical body is something to be ignored. It's unimportant. It's irrelevant to that the world around us, the things around us, the life around us do not matter. That's called Gnosticism. That's called post-Nailey. How do you relate? The challenge is Gnosticism was viewed as heresy in the years that it lasted. And yet most of us have been raised with the idea that it's elsewhere, it's the invisible realm that matters. And if the invisible realm is what matters most, then it takes all of the responsibility out of doing anything giving to the poor somehow then becomes less spiritual than caring for the poor. See, all of these things are 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 things that are internal and spiritual and elsewhere and those things are much more important than the things that are around us. So the presence of God, we believe that God is everywhere, but his presence is only in the spirit realm. The church says that when you divide reality, it's by dividing the context of reality. Because we are living in a present space. was a universe. It is not 
Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.